Well, good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you today, those of you who are here in the Fellowship Hall and those of you who are watching online. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as together we come into God's word today. Well, I have a question to start off with, and the question is this. How do you see God? And how do you think God sees you? How do you see God, and how do you think God sees you Your answer to these questions are the most important answers you will ever answer in your life and the most important thoughts you can ever think. Why? Because how you see God and how you think God sees you will define your journey of faith. Because these are things of faith, how you see God and how you think God sees you. You reminds me of a story, story of a ship's captain who is out navigating late at night along the coast. And as he's navigating in the darkness, he sees several lights of several ships out on the horizon. But one of them he sees is directly in front of him on his course. So he calls out on the radio and says, attention, unknown vessel. We are on a collision course. You must navigate and change your course five degrees to the right. After a few moments, he gets a response back. Unable to comply, you must change your course five degrees to the right. Well, the captain's a little upset at this point because he knows the rules of the ocean, and he replies back tersely, attention unknown vessel, this is a United States Navy ship. I have the right of way in these waterways. You must yield and change your course five degrees to the right, to the starboard. After a few moments, the response comes back. Attention, Navy ship, unable to comply, you must change your course five degrees to the right. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) What we focus on when things are unclear makes all the difference in our journey, especially in our journey of faith. And that leads us into the focus of our summer sermon series entitled Connecting the Dots of Faith. We're going to be focusing on the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. And for the next 13 weeks, we're going to explore all 13 chapters. It just kind of lined up that way. So as you are joining us on this journey over the course of the summer, whether you're able to be with us in church, whether you're watching at home online, or even if you're out of town, you can keep up and stay along with us by reading one chapter a week out of Hebrews. You can read it on your Bible that you brought with you, on your phone, however you do it. But why don't you follow along? Make that a discipline over the course of this summer. I know that school is out, but church never is. So we can take some time to learn and to grow in our faith by connecting the dots through all 13 chapters. Now, what does it mean to connect the dots? Some of you might be young enough where you're like, I'm not quite sure what you mean by connecting the dots, Pastor. Well, see, here's the thing. Back in the olden days... We had these things called connect the dots, and they'd look something like this. It'd be an image that was unclear, maybe had just a little bit of it filled in, but then there would be numbers all over the page. And your job was to start at the number one, and then make a connection to number two, and then from two to three, and three to four, so on and so forth, until you had filled in all of the lines of all of the numbers. And when you were done, it would look something like this. Yes. Thank you, that's my own artistry. 
Did a pretty fine job there, I thought. Yes, I know, the hands, can you identify what it is, first of all? Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. Good job, it's Jesus. Jesus and his ascension. Some were like, I'm not quite sure whether that's the Statue of Liberty. I'm not quite sure. It looks like the hands may be claws or lobster claws. I'm not quite sure what that is there. But trust me, it's said on the bottom, it's the ascension of Jesus. (laughs) So it might not even look totally clear after it's done, but it definitely looks more clear than it did when it's just a bunch of dots. That's what it means to connect the dots. And, And children, this is how your grandparents kept your parents occupied on long trips. (laughs) Gave them a book of these and said, don't complain, don't ask me when we're getting there, just start doing these. And you would have a bunch of these connect the dots to do. And they were fun. Now as we make our way together through the book of Hebrews, it's my hope that the focus of your faith will become more and more clear as we connect the dots from chapter to chapter. So you can follow along over the course of this summer. Please do that. And let's get started today by jumping in right away into Hebrews chapter 1. If you're looking for it in your Bible, we have some Bibles that are available here. If you don't have one with you, you just raise your hand. We'd be happy to give you a Bible, and you can open up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews comes at the end of Paul's letters, right before the book of James. So uh, probably past the halfway mark of the New Testament. Um, but uh, you can open up there to Hebrews. If you got it on your phone or on an iPad, that's great. You can open that up right now too. Follow along with me as I read, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1 of Hebrews. Listen along as I read. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now let me just point out something here as we get started for those of you who are biblical scholars and maybe like to study a little bit more about these things. This is introduced as a letter to the Hebrews or the book of Hebrews, but it doesn't actually look much like either one of those things. You see, most of the letters in the New Testament, as you read them, whether they're the letters of Paul or the letters of Peter or of John, have a particular way of being formatted. They start off like a lot of letters do. They start off by saying, hi, it's me, I'm writing to you, and then something about God's grace and mercy, and then the letter begins. Paul does this repeatedly. Peter does it. It's very common, not exclusively But very, very common for a letter to be formatted that way. And then that letter would go to a variety of different churches, in particular the ones that were in the region that it was addressed to, like the church at Corinth or the church at Galatia um, or the church at Colossae. Each of one of those has a letter that was written to them by Paul. And it would then be read in all of those different churches as a letter, as a correspondence. This one is different. This sounds different And it sounds different for a very particular reason. It probably wasn't originally a letter or even a book. In all likelihood, this was a sermon. This was the capturing of a sermon, a sermon, one of the earliest sermons 
of the Christian church. Now, there are other sermons in the New Testament. There are sermons that show up in the book of Acts and in other places. But after the church was established, after it had been around for a while, preachers were still preaching, pastors were still pastoring, and this is one sermon that was captured in a particular place and time. We don't know who wrote this sermon. We don't know who preached this sermon. It's everybody's guess as to who that might be. It might be Paul. It might be Apollos. It might be one of the other New Testament writers. We really don't know. But it has all the looks of a sermon. And as sermons often try to do, they try to grab the attention of the audience in the opening paragraph. I hope I succeeded today. Nobody's nodding off yet as I'm looking around the room. (laughs) You try to grab their attention and hold their attention by saying something important. And that's how this preacher begins. By making a sharp contrast between two things. In the past, God spoke to us this way. But now, God speaks this way. Past and present. And present that leads into future. A contrast between the past and the present. The author of this sermon, the preacher of this sermon, is trying to make this clear. God used to speak to us through a variety of different voices, at a variety of different times, and in a variety of different places. What the preacher is talking about is all the New Testament. (laughs) or excuse me, the Old Testament, pardon me, the whole of the Old Testament. He's talking about the different characters, the different voices, the different people who spoke through the Old Testament. People like Abraham and Moses, Joshua, Samuel, Deborah, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Joel, and so on and so forth. All of these characters that are there across the span of the Old Testament. And each one of them came with a message, sharing a message, and has a story there. And what do all of these people have in common? They were all imperfect sinners, trying their best to speak for God and to follow God. That's universal across every single one of them. Some did a better job than others. Some could be spectacularly amazing at representing God in one moment and in the next minute be exactly the opposite, speaking things that God would never say or doing things that God would never approve of. This is the story all through the Old Testament. Try as they might, they would share these messages. And as a result of their imperfection and their sin and their brokenness, sometimes their image of God could get confused with other images. And sometimes their speaking on behalf of God could get confused with their own voices. We see this all throughout the New Testament. Like I said, words that didn't line up with actions. Words that would speak and point to God and then shortly thereafter would say something that it's like, there's no possible way that God could mean that. It's the exact opposite of what he just spoke of before. Some people like to point this out and be like, well, that shows how there were so many contradictions in the Bible. No, absolutely not. It shows that the Bible is God's inspired word, and it's an inspired dialogue happening between broken people who are trying to understand what God wants and who he is. And as God reveals himself, even when he reveals it clearly, we sometimes don't get the image right. And often, sometimes, these early authors didn't either. 
And the confusion could be evident even sometimes in the things that they say. And I'll point out one today. David, David the king, David the one who was described as the one who was so close to God's heart, a man after God's own heart. You then would expect that, that David would say things and do things that would fall strictly in line with what God would want to say or what God would want to see done. Wrong. <laughs> Didn't work out that way often. And sometimes even the things that David would say, it would come across as confusing. King David says this at the beginning of Psalm 110. Those of you who are checking your boxes in your crossword puzzle go, oh, this is the part where Darren makes the connection to the thing that Dan said earlier. <laughs> Psalm 110 starts with these words. A psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. The Lord says to my Lord. These are the words of David. David was a king. There was no Lord for David other than God himself. So David could say something logically that would make sense like, my Lord says to me. But no, he says, the Lord says to my Lord. Huh? It seems confusing. In fact, it seemed confusing all the way into the time of Jesus. Jesus explains this psalm and points out the confusion of it to the Pharisees as he is talking to them. He's like, who is David talking about? If David is the king, others would refer to David as my Lord, but David wouldn't refer to anybody else as my Lord except for the Lord. Why is there a the Lord and then a my Lord in between the king and God? Well, that's part of what is being expressed here. You see, God still manages to accomplish his mission despite the confusion of confusing people and of broken people. Because something has happened that's going to bring clarity to what God means. Something incredible happened. Something absolutely remarkable happened. The same God who spoke through various voices at various times in various places has shown up and spoken through one voice at one time in one place. Anybody have any idea who that might be? Jesus! The Sunday school answer is absolutely appropriate today. Jesus, the Son, has shown up. That's what the author is saying. You used to hear, and we used to hear from God this way, through various voices, at various times, in lots of different ways. But now, the sun has shown up. And this is not just any sun. This is the son of the Most High God. And this son is an heir to the estate. Now, when we think today about what an heir to an estate would mean, you're like, well, yeah, your, your father or your mother or somebody has an estate, and then they, they write you into the will, and when they die, then you inherit the estate. So how does that work with God? God doesn't die and then inherit 
an estate or give away an estate. God still lives. So something different has happened here. God the Father is speaking of the Son and has given the Son absolute authority over his inheritance, over the estate that he has set for him. And this is no small estate. It's not some little slice of land with a little house on it. This estate is the entire universe and everything in it. That which this son was present at its creation. This son is not a created son. This son is a part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was there and spoke all of this creation, this entire universe, into being with a word. That's who this son is. And that's the one who is speaking to you now. And he radiates the glory of God, a brilliance and a brightness, like, like the light of the world. The one who was there and spoke into creation, into the darkness, and said, let there be light. The same one spoken of by the gospel writer John when he says, this one is the light of the world. The light has come into the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. Same one. Same son. And this son, he is the exact likeness and substance of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at the son. You need look no further. He is the absolute representation of the father in likeness and in being. There he is, the son. Look at him. Listen to him. And he holds everything together by his powerful word. The same one who spoke it all into existence now sustains it, supports it, upholds it, keeps it together with the same word. The word of God, the living word, Jesus. And then he provides the ultimate and final sacrifice for our sins. Did you get that part? After making purification for sins. This is the one who does the work of a priest. The priests that were set up all throughout the Old Testament who had to offer sacrifices repeatedly and over and over and over again, constantly and continuously, this son comes and provides one sacrifice one time, and it's himself. And it's finished. It's done. It's taken care of. And after that, he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean that he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven? Well, here's the deal. When the king comes into the room, everybody stands. And when the king sits down, everybody stays standing. The only one who gets to sit in the king's presence is the king himself. This son is the king. This son is the Messiah. This son is the one appointed by God to sit at the right hand in majesty. To sit there means all of the authority has been given to him. He's the king. He's the son. He's the high priest. He's the king. Hang on to your hats because that's going to continue to show up again and again and again as we're connecting the dots over the course of this summer. And he is the supreme messenger with the ultimate name. The final messenger of God. With the ultimate 
name. What is that name again? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Say it loud like you mean it. Jesus. Oh, now we're having church. There we go. Jesus, we're talking about Jesus. You might be thinking, you know, Pastor, this is kind of a basic message, isn't it? You know, I mean, talking about Jesus and everything. I mean, by the way, you know, this message was being given to early Christians. Like these Christians, some of them may have even been hanging around who actually knew Jesus. Really short period of time. Why would they need to hear this message? Why would this message need to get pointed out to them? Well, the same reason that we need to hear it today. Because you see, even those early Christians, even those Christians who were within a generation or two of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, were starting to have questions. They were starting to have some doubts. You see, they were looking around at the world around them that this glorious kingdom that had been promised to them didn't quite look like it was happening. The world was still a mess. Leaders were still failing. Communities and cultures were still adrift. Things were still broken. And their faith began to falter. And when people's faith begins to falter, they start to lose hope. And when they start to lose hope, they try to create hope on their own, and they begin to try to make things happen on their own. And at their worst, they try to make things happen on their own in God's name. And whenever broken, sinful human beings try to make things happen on their own and grab God's name to try and make it happen or give them some type of authority, you can bet there's going to be problems. You can bet that that brokenness is going to show up in all sorts of broken ways. And in this time, like our time today, when we don't see a clear image of who Jesus is, but we start to start seeing God in some distorted ways, as some angry taskmaster who needs to be appeased. For these early followers, they started sliding right back into the Judaism that they had had before. Maybe Jesus' sacrifice really wasn't quite enough, so maybe we need to just keep doing it some more. Maybe we need to really work hard to work this out for ourselves. They started to drift back to the law and away from the gospel. If we could just have some more law and order around, then those people would start acting right. And they began to think that they could put words in God's mouth in order to get their desired outcomes. Using God's written word as a weapon instead of his living word as a promise. Even those who thought they knew God's law most clearly and understood his written word most deeply were blind to the final word God had revealed to them, his son. Jesus pointed this out himself to those in his own lifetime in John 5, 39. 
and speaking to these law keepers. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. But they couldn't see it. I think we're in a very similar time right now in the church and in the world. And as a result, I think many are quick to say things in Jesus' name that Jesus never said. Or to attribute attitudes and opinions to Jesus that are the exact opposite of what the scriptures reveal. The things that the scriptures reveal about Jesus, about who Jesus would hang out with, that often got him into trouble with the religious law keepers, about who is welcomed in and who is left out, about who are the real enemies and who show up as really just false friends, about who is actually blessed, like the poor in spirit. Versus those who are living under a curse. About those who need healing. And those who occasionally need a table overturned or two. About who are the true servants. And who are the fake leaders. You see, Jesus spoke about all these things. So how about instead of us putting words in Jesus' mouth, which we are so likely to do, how about we put his words in our mouths and in our hearts? How about if we spend more time focusing on Jesus and on who God has revealed himself to be through his son, the final word, the perfect image, and trust that God knows what he's doing, Trust that the forgiveness offered through Jesus is enough for you and for me and for the whole world. That the heart of God is revealed in Jesus to the broken and the outcast and the left behind and the left out is actually supposed to be the same kind of heart that we have. It makes all the difference. So I'll ask that starting question one more time. How do you see God? And how do you think God sees you? If you see God as an angry, vengeful God who is waiting for you to get your life in order or else, well, then that's the way you think he sees you and the way you think he sees your neighbor. And that will be the kind of faith that you will live. But if you see God the way God has revealed himself through Jesus, well, then you see that God sees you very differently. That he sees you as one worthy of his promise to forgive you, to heal you, to make you whole, 
to cleanse you. And he's done the work for you on the cross. This summer, let's make sure that we focus on Jesus and not on anyone or anything else. Let's connect the dots so that his face, his heart, his words, and his actions become more and more clear to us and through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are, Lord, again, as your people called by your name, gathered together because of your Son. The focus and purpose of our worship to glorify him. And Father, we fall short time and time and time and time again in our own lives, in our words and in our actions, because we too are imperfect prophets, broken leaders, and part of a broken world. So Lord, what we come to proclaim is not how great we are or how bad they are, but how good you are and how great you are. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, fill us. Do your work in us so that you can do your work through us. Help the image of who you are be so clear to us, Jesus, and be so clear in us that when others see us, they see you first. When others hear us, they hear you first. Do that work in us that only you can do. We trust you. We place our faith in you and in you alone. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.